Welcome to Big Business Briefs with me, Tracy Jones. And me, Heather Noble. And if you're feeling a bit fed up with attending meetings virtual or otherwise, our topical discussion this week is about why it's all right to say no to meetings. Yeah, and indeed, Elon Musk is an... Elon? Elon? Elon Musk. <laughs> Elon Musk is advising his workers to leave meetings, to exit sessions, drop off calls that aren't serving them. And that's what he says in this memo to his um, team. I wonder how he would react if he dropped out of a call with him. Yeah. <laughs> a meeting that he's in. Yeah, I yeah. think it's all right to say that, but how many yeah. of his team have dropped out of calls? Nah, not serving me anymore, Elon. I'm off. I'm off, yes. Yes, maybe, yeah, maybe he might want to review that. But I, I kind of know what he means. This was a, there's an article on Regis.com um, and where they, where they mention this. And I think, it, you know, he has got a good point, really, because certainly before COVID, people would squirrel themselves in a work, away in a room and, you know, they'd have a cup of coffee and some biscuits and they'd spend ages talking about the weather hmm. and then eventually they'd get round to talking about the thing they were meant to be talking about. Yeah. And people would be invited along who might not necessarily need to be there. So I think I think he's onto something. Is it best... Is a meeting always the best solution? Yeah. Sometimes an email to everybody will do we'll the do, same yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah. But then there are occasions when being in a, you know, when you're in, copied everybody in on this email and it's going round and round and round and you think, oh, yeah, you never can, get we just all, yeah, <laughs> can we can just we get in a room? Get in a room yeah. and decide because we're duplicating everything. But do you ever have these times where you look in your calendar and it's meeting followed by another meeting, then another meeting, then the next day is the same and you're thinking, when am I actually going to do any of the actions from these meetings? Uh, that does happen, but of course, there are occasions when I actually practice what I preach, which is well done. Don't have back-to-back meetings, and that was really something that was happening during lockdown. Yeah, people would. Well, well you can see people's calendars, can't you? So if you look, like, like the same things happened to me. I've been out of the office today. I come back, and three people have scheduled meetings with me because they can see my calendar. They see a gap. They go for it, and then before I know it, tomorrow is just meeting, 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 because mm. somebody wants to get some time with me. Now, to be fair, I work for a global company, so if somebody wants to speak to me from Norway, it's probably a good idea to put it in the calendar rather than to chance seeing me in the corridor, so that's fair enough. But it does seem a little bit of overwhelm when your whole calendar is just blocked and, out. And you see, I don't agree with that, because... We're all old enough and ugly enough to manage our own diaries. Who, who, uh, yeah, it's not appropriate for me to put something into your diary. I think I should consult with you. That, you know, I think that that protocol should still exist. I've got to say, though, we have found this scenario where, say, you're trying to invite six or seven people to a meeting and then the email just gets back pass and forward back and back and ah it's like a game of uh, meeting table tennis and you never come to an agreement whereas it if you actually can see everybody's calendar and just go right I can see a free slot there let's go for it but we do encourage people to make sure they've blocked out time if they need time Yeah. yeah well yeah as long as that's as long as that's happening because I mean you know the other way is to poll so that you say here are some available slots 
And you're relying on people replying to your poll. That, well, that's true. But, I, yeah, I, it's just not something... It doesn't feel right to me, but, but yeah, I can, under, I can understand. Yeah. But... I can see both sides of the coin. Yeah. Um, having been quite keen to organise a meeting and then not wanting to wait for the replies, I found it quite empowering just to, to just go, that. I'm, gonna grab I'm having that, that space power. there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I'm just looking back at this article. Um, Elon Musk says that it's not rude to leave a meeting, it's rude to make someone stay and waste their time. So this is taking it to another level. This isn't just accepting or refusing a meeting invitation this is mid-meeting going i'm off now yeah. how comfortable do you feel with that in person or online is there, is there a difference i think if if there is a clear agenda and my contribution is valid in item number three mm -hmm. and when item number three is done i might say do you need anything else from me at, at yeah. this stage? Good idea. Um, if I were, if I were item number nine on the agenda, I don't know whether I would say, "Well, I'll just join you at, you know, half past two because yeah. you'll be on item number seven by then, and I can just That's get a bit of context." That's difficult, isn't it? Yeah. yeah, but I, but I think if I were if I were busy, and well, definitely if I were really busy, I I wouldn't have any qualms with saying. Do you need anything else from me? If not, I'm going to shoot. But so, what about minutes. the difference between in person and online meetings? Would would you just treat it exactly the same? I think I would. Yeah. What about those people who say yes to the meeting, aren't really involved, so switch off their mic and their camera oh. and just do other work in the background? Yeah. See, I now I think that's really rude because the message that that's given to me is they're not interested in my contribution to the meeting. And that's fine if they aren't interested in my contribution to the meeting, but I'd rather that they made their excuses and said, right, okay, I think we're done here. Because there's nothing worse. We've all been in face-to-face -face meetings where, you know, somebody, they have completely, they're not, they're just not interested. So they're looking at their phone or something. Yeah, looking yeah. at their phone. And, you, and you're just like, what, what, all you're doing now is making me feel that and, and think about everything that I'm saying in case I'm really, really boring. <laughs> when in actual fact, I'm, I could be right on topic. Yeah. It's, it's not my experience of you, but I've, I've not been in that many meetings well, with you true. ever. Maybe. True. I mean, people do usually fall asleep. But So <laughs> what would, would, you, would you make your excuses? Um, I think it depends who it was. Mm. So if it was my boss's boss... <laughs> maybe I uh, I would stick around a little bit. Um, I'm not sure. I really mm. don't know. I, I've not done it a great deal. I'm trying to think of the last time that I... I have declined meetings, so I find that easier than exiting partway through. And I guess if it is a really long meeting and then it goes into something that is technical, yeah, I would just say, oh, yeah, this isn't, this isn't yeah. my area. Yeah, I'm not an engineer or whatever, and... Uh, Am I done? So, yeah, I would, I think. Now, I've talked myself into it, yes. I would and I have done. Do you think, though, and, well, this is... Very often, there's not enough preparation done before a meeting. So, and that's why meetings drag on. So, the papers get circulated or don't get circulated. Oh, I really... I found that difficult. And I, then you should been, read the papers yeah. before you go to yeah, a meeting. Yeah, so you go to a meeting 
and then we say, has everybody had a chance to look at the, oh no, I don't think I got the minutes, I mean, oh, I don't think I got that, or I don't think, oh, can you just, from my point of view, it's, everybody's had the papers, these are the matters arising, and then, you know, and then on to the... Yeah, I like the, the chopping you're yeah. doing with your hands. Yeah, sorry, yeah. yeah. <laughs> because, yeah, <laughs> because that's suggesting that you, that you think it's okay to sit for us to play catch up for you. Hmm. And that lengthens the meeting because we're going back over old ground or, oh, I can't, I, I can't remember what was said. Well, you should have asked that. One thing I do find a, a more annoying than that is when you don't stick to time or don't stick to the agenda. Mm. I'm yeah. quite a stickler for sticking yeah. to time. If you say it's going to be an hour meeting, you need to, yeah, apart from something extremely important and yeah. serious that needs dealing with, you need to stick to that time. Other people have got other commitments either side of it, haven't they? And and not sticking to the agenda. Oh, oh, I've got another Ooh. pet hate now. Ooh. They're all coming out. Um, when people have multiple conversations in a meeting. Yes. Ooh. Yeah. If I'm chairing that meeting, I'm yeah, I'm stern. Do but they I get, get a Paddington I get, stare. They do, and I feel better as a chair in that situation because I will ask them to be quiet. If I'm not in charge of the meeting, and that happens. I, I get all prickly, I yeah, get uncomfortable because I want somebody tell, to yeah. stop those people having yeah. a conversation over there. That's one good thing about online. You tend to not have the multiple conversations going on, whereas in the room you can yeah. you can tend to have people talking across each other. really doesn't work on a Zoom call, does it? No, but online you could have people having conversations or, with each other or could be through the, the chat, chat box, yeah. yeah. And one of the things that we discovered when we... This is a few months ago we talked about this, isn't it? Is that you have to be careful. Because if you're in a meeting and you're chatting with somebody else, there is a chance that that, whatever you're saying in that chat could get recorded with the meeting. Yes. So be careful if you're having a chat. Yes, I I never say anything derogatory um, unless I'm actually hosting the meeting, in which case I can say what I like. (laughs) (laughs) Because I can delete it from the chat. Okay, so yeah, so he, he talks about this, you know, saying no, which we which we've touched on. Um, have you have you come across um, like stand up meeting rooms? Have you ever worked anywhere that had those? Um, we we tend to have them for um, sort of in, in the factory, so that they're stand up meetings in a big circle, and you have that meeting. It does keep it focused. You know, you get a ten minute. Uh, toolbox talk it was mm. standing up I've got to say I, I do um, find that the meetings where you go and sit down around the table can get too comfy and sometimes do wish we could just do those standing up as well yeah. I, I've not worked in a, a place but I've visited um, various places where they've had stand-up meeting rooms so it is literally no chairs. There's no chairs a high desk that you stand at. Mm. You can take a coffee in with you if you want, but you ain't sitting down snuggled in the corner having a conversation. And they usually got glass glass walls yeah. so that people can see that, you know, you, you're not... It's not two of you, like, leaning on the bar having a chat. <laughs> it, it's very much more focused. Yeah. And I think there's something there's something about that. But, but again, um, they talk about the fact that, you know, people think that focus means saying yes to the thing you've got to focus on. But that's not actually what it means. It means saying no to the other hundred things that you're not supposed to be focusing on. And that might just be at this moment in time. Mm. You're not saying no forever. Yeah. It's just at the moment my focus is this. And I've got time to talk about that in a meeting. 
but you know, I'm not going to, not going to, or I haven't got time because I need to be delivering. Yeah, goes back to your point about you attend a meeting, then when you meant to do the actions from the meeting, if you just straight into another one. When somebody says, "Oh, Heather, you're going to do so," yeah, well, I, I will do so. <laughs> so if I can get a moment when I'm not in a, they've finished meeting. all these meetings. Yeah. <laughs> so this saying no and this leaving the meetings, I still think. Um, it takes a brave person to say no and to leave a meeting that their boss is chairing. What do you think? I understand that. However, I would like to think that it's a long time since I worked for anybody, but I would like to think... You are your own boss. That, yeah, do you say no I to would, yourself? <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, don't go to that meeting. Um, well, actually, I do do that a little bit. Yeah. You know, there are there are certain things, but I am... I'm involved with the charity, so I'm a chair of trustees, so yeah. I'm usually chairing the meetings. But it, but I would like to think that somebody could come and say to me, uh, when we've done the HR bit or the finance bit or whatever, would it be okay for me to leave because I've got a load of stuff back at my desk, and I, you know I don't need to sit through different elements of the organisation. And I'd like to think that I would say yes. Hmm. So it's about having if you feel afraid to speak up I mean okay your boss might then say no I want you there for the whole thing because in any other business we're going to be picking up on X yeah you go fair enough um but I think you should be able to speak up to say this is not best use of my time that you're paying me for that's a very good way to do it isn't it it's not a good use of your time yeah it's not best use not not from my point of view yeah but from the business's point of view okay Good tip. Good yeah. tip. I, I've got to say, I have um, last few years. I've sort of been new in in my role and new in a, a completely new industry as well. And I've actually been to meetings that I didn't need to attend because I wanted to understand more as well. Yeah, yeah. I, I wanted to sort of absorb, you know, the the processes and the thinking and and how it all fits together. So yeah. I have actually been to more meetings than I. I could have got away with. Yeah, but I but, but there's a reason for that, isn't there? Again, um, with the charity that I'm involved with, if there's going to be a meeting about the art strategy, I might say I'd like to come along to that meeting. To get, I'm yeah. not going to chair it. Then I'm going to sit and 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 learn. And I, again, I think that's the if, purpose is to yeah, learn. If somebody yeah. said, "Why do you need to be there?" I'd say, "Well, because I'd find it really helpful to get an, a broader understanding of X." Yeah. So that's okay. It's difficult. It's difficult, but I don't. I don't think meetings should disappear forever. I'm hoping that you know we can have less Zoom meetings for the rest of my life. <laughs> um, but it's a good. It's a good article, and it's. I think it's. I think it's quite an interesting way of thinking. Yeah, I think you you have to find the right balance for yourself, don't you? And find the way that is okay for you to say no or for. Uh, for you to excuse yourself from the meetings, it's not going to be the same for everybody, is it? No, and and uh, but also I think we need to be adult enough to say to ourselves, "Do I want to go to that meeting because I want to interfere with something that's got actually got <laughs> nothing to do with me? I want to make sure they don't vote on X, <laughs> you know, even though it's not my department." Um, so I'm going to that meeting because I'm a busybody. Yeah. yeah. Have a word I, with yourself. <laughs> I think I have done that in the past. <laughs> yeah, me too. <laughs> Okay, right, so um, the review this week is of a book that took me a little bit by surprise. Um, so within uh, the first 
chapter or so, I was sending Heather a message saying, I want to buy a business. Yes. Got to admit, by the time I finished the book, I was a bit more, oh, that seemed like a lot of hard work. (laughs) (laughs) Heather, I haven't got the, uh, the author's name in front of me. The book is called Business Buying Strategies. Yeah, and it's by Jonathan Jay. Okay, and the key to this is uh, the subtitle, which is How to Buy a Business Without Risking Your Own Capital. Yes. Um, it was it was an interesting read, I thought. How about you? Were, were you as enthused when you first started reading it? Did you get turned off straight away? How did it go for you? Uh, it started off all right. Uh, I was reading it on the Kindle app, which, you know, I don't really like okay, that much. that's how I read it, yeah. Yeah, Kindle Unlimited. But, I mean, it, it's not... It's not a massive book, you know, it's not impossible to digest fairly rapidly. Started off all right, and then I just got to a point where I thought, yeah, you're making this all sound so simple and straightforward, but it's not simple and straightforward at all. Because he's basically saying, don't need to use any of your own money, um, you don't need to start a business from scratch. We go, oh yeah, that sounds good. Mm-hmm. And you buy an ex- a going concern, okay, that's down on its uppers, okay. Um, yeah, and then you sell it, and then you buy another one, and then you... And it seems really obvious, doesn't it? Yes. You go, oh, yeah. Yeah, everything yeah. he says initially makes a lot of sense. And, and that's what got me, oh, wow, I could, could yeah. do this. Yeah, could do this. Me could do this. literally sit on my sofa buying and selling businesses. Yeah. Come yeah. on, hell, we could do yeah. this. Yeah. But then it sort of got a bit... Well, would you know where, where, the, um, where the turning point for me was? Everything he wrote was fine. I was like, yeah, I can do this. I can do this. And uh, I was like, yeah, yeah, I'm really really excited. I'm I'm going to find a way to do it. And then I read the case studies from the people who'd done it. Okay. And when you you read those, you go, yeah, it's not that easy. Not quite that straightforward. Because if it was that easy, everybody would be doing it. Yeah. Not just, not, and and without, um, I don't want to be flippant, but... If it's that easy, then why do you need to write a book about it? Because, you know, lots of people will be doing it. And run a course. And run a course and monetize the, the whole program. How do you do yeah. it? Yeah, yeah. Fair play to him. Brilliant. Yeah, and I think the book was really good. It was really, and I can imagine um, going on those masterclasses would feel really empowering. Um, but personally, I went, nah. No. <laughs> Ultimately, yeah not really the thing I found interesting was that he so he was talking up he was talking about buying different businesses and then he's talking about I can't remember the actual terminology that he used but essentially buying businesses of a similar type yeah and then joining them together yeah under an and you can see that happening a lot can't you if you look at the vet practices that were around a lot of them now are getting grouped together aren't they and this is all part of that process i found that really interesting to see it actually happening and things like that doctor surgeries they're they're all sort of grouping together so i i did think that was he he, he's got um, some nurseries hasn't he yeah um like kids nurseries and they're benefiting from having a centralization of some of the services that can be done for the whole group yeah you know and, and that sort of economies of scale associated with it and he's very clear about what sort of businesses you should be considering ones that you know about for a start and things that you can take to it that you've got a skill but also he talks about particular sectors and particular um 
types of industries that it's going to work for and not going to work for. Uh, very strongly in the book, he advises against any IT. For him, because for him. he's not... But one of the case studies is somebody who's done exactly yeah. that with yeah. IT companies. So, yeah. And, and he talks he talks a lot about, you know, you're either, not you're either, but, you know, if you are a people person, if you're about motivating, inspiring people and the people as a resource within an organisation go for these types of businesses yeah. if you are more techie financial you know um systematic go for these types of organizations which and that's i think that's probably what got me excited because it's so oh i i can do that i can do that i can do oh but in, interestingly enough and fair play to him he doesn't say that you can do this all on your own he's not giving false promises he makes it very clear you need very good legal accounting tax and if you're not an hr specialist hr advice before you even think about doing this and i think that's very wise advice and yeah and and while and in that he also is picking up on what because he 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 gets to a stage where he says basically people he is positioned in such a way now that people will offer their businesses to him for for very little because they don't want the hassle. Well, they've got want... no exit strategy. Got That's no exit. Yes. really important. They don't want the worry of the staff. So then you get to the whole, you need you need them to believe and trust that you will look after the staff that have been in the business for 30 years, that you won't um, trash the brand, the name, you know, John, John Jones's nurseries or whatever, and then suddenly John Jones's name is being hauled through the courts yeah. or whatever. So I think there were there were some interesting bits there. I also Googled him because I because hmm. I had a sort of Is he really successful businessman? Yes. Well deal maker as he calls exactly, it. Exactly, yeah. exactly. And I had a look on, on Company's House and he, he does seem to have like twenty one different appointments. So I thought, okay, that's Fair enough. If I you know, if he'd got three, I'd be like, mm, I'm not so sure. Yeah, because he does recommend having six companies on the go, a portfolio a of six of companies. Almost. Yeah. So you get the six and then you decide which one you're going to have a capital event so you go yes. to actually release the money and sell it and then you buy another one yeah so he seems to use the six so i don't know where he's got 21 from well i th- well i think because i think the other thing is it's the structuring that yeah well you know like you're saying about centralizing yeah so that you've got individual cost centers and then a head office where you charge each of those cost centers back the head for the head office support so i think there's a bit of that goes on um, but and I well actually to be fair I think he has twenty one I think fifteen are current okay so yes but um, but I was looking for you know evidence evidence track record yes. yeah yeah and then I also looked at um, he does a podcast and he's got a YouTube channel yeah I've subscribed to the podcast yeah. right where where he's talking about some of these things he's talking to people who've done this mm-hmm. um, and he seems. I have to admit, a part of me was looking looking for more information about him because I was afraid that he was going to be a bit saccharine, a bit um, smarmy. Yeah. But he actually seems quite normal. I don't mean normal. I mean, <laughs> okay. Really, oh, yeah, yeah, I didn't go, ooh, okay. So the um, the podcast is called the Business Buying Strategies Podcast. Of course, you know, we're not suggesting you listen to that instead of our podcast, but... You know, if you want another podcast to listen to as well yes. as ours. After you've listened to ours, if you need something to help you drift off to sleep, then... 
Now, I don't know about you, but the way he talked about um, the way that you um, pay for the purchase of the company and you pay your own consultancy fees. I'm I'm a numbers person, but even I was like thinking, oh, that's a little bit of number magic going on there. Yeah, that, where's that's the 10, really that's ten really thousand consultancy fees should be coming out of the business each month. And what you pay the person you bought comes out of the business. And yeah. like, oh, yeah, okay, this seems a little bit like magic. Maybe I'm a bit too vanilla in my accountancy practice. I don't know. How does that work? Well, it's got to be in there in the first place. So the money's got to be in the business. He's got to release it by making savings straight away or or releasing, you know, generating some more income or cost saving. He's got to do one of those. Yeah, he talked about wiping out, um, was it £850,000 a year out of one business because they were all driving around in swanky cars and... Mm. And so just stripped it right back. So then, yes, I suppose it is easier to to draw money out of a business where you've made massive savings like that. Yeah. So I've gone from, um, oh, this this looks a bit heavy, to, yeah, I want to buy businesses, to, no, no. Not really. No, no. <laughs> but I do think it, it's uh, it's on Kindle Unlimited at the moment, so I think it's worth a read if you're looking at ways to advance. Uh, you know, just give it a, have a read if you know if you think it's something for you. But do heed his advice and get professional expert advisors every step of the way because I don't think this is something you can do as a, as a layperson. No, uh, but I, and I think on the flip side of that, what it, where it would potentially be a good book to read is if you have got a business Mm. that you are thinking of selling or trying to because you know the things that he's talking about are the things that potential buyer would be talking about or thinking ah so so poacher turn gamekeeper idea yeah so from the you know small business person um or not small but you know the business business owner okay what sort of things do i need to be thinking about and listening out for and saying when I'm trying to find somebody to buy my business. Very good point. I do have them. I do make them sometimes. Yeah, you have some good ideas, don't you? Yeah. yeah. Can I ask you about your great idea about our profile this week? <laughs> um, yes, because <laughs> this gentleman that we're profiling has got more strings to his bow than you might first imagine. Only, um, I have to admit... It, it was <laughs> okay fair enough I chose Dion Dublin on the basis that he is an ex-footballer and he turned up and surprised a lot of people by presenting homes under the hammer yes a few years ago and a lot of people were like well what does he know about property and it just so happens that what he did was, as he was a footballer and he was earning the big money, he was building a property portfolio. So that's one thing, yes. yes. That's something he can do. And it, I think it's a valid profile. <laughs> I'm justifying yeah. this here. Yes. Because he's also on. an inventor. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And he's got a portfolio career now. Yeah. He's a presenter, a football pundit. He's... Got property, yeah, and he's invented something called the do. Yes. Can I just say... Oh, Heather's looking at me like she's cross with me. No, no, not at all. (laughs) But it was... 
You know, when somebody says something with absolute certainty, so last week we were sat here, said, who are we going to profile? Uh, and you went, Dion Doblin. And I went, oh, okay, right. That seemed very certain and very definite. There was something, there was really something. Do you want something. to know why? Yeah, because... Because I suggested him a few months ago and he went, nah. Right, is that... <laughs> right, okay. So you... Right. So, you, so I just sort of threw it in again. Well, it turns out, potentially... I'm consistent in my thinking. <laughs> anyway, but the dupe, the dupe, dupe, dupe was a surprise. Yeah, well, there you go. And did you know he had a property portfolio? Well, I only because of his homes under the hammer thing. But um, but yeah, I, don't all footballers? No, not all of them. I suppose a few of them must do. <laughs> I think it raises the question, doesn't it? If you're in a career where you're going to make your money and, and, and stop earning money in your 30s, then how do you ensure a future? Do you, do you retrain as a builder or a plasterer, you know, or plumbers? They're, they're in great demand at the moment. Uh, Lorry driver? <laughs> exactly. So how do you make sure you've got enough income to see you through? Yeah. Um, and I think... What Dion Dublin's done is he recognised that he he didn't have a lot of money as a kid, and you know he was um, he was finding that even when he was training he was he was struggling uh, to make money. He says he was earning twenty seven pound fifty a week, so he was offering to clean other footballers' cars to make up his money, and he'd sweep the stands, he'd do some painting in the football grounds just to build up that money. So he's had this sense he's, he'd needed to top up his money, but then when he, he had enough money, he was sensible enough not to just piss it off the wall, but actually to invest it in property. Presumably, he's done all right out of it, although I couldn't find that out. So. Yeah, I um, there's he, he has a company on company's house, but that only seemed, the balance sheet only, so it's a micro-business, only seems to be about £66,000. So I think the property must sit somewhere else, but I wasn't mm. quite able to find out whose name it's in or, or where it is. But um, I just thought he was a really interesting guy. Uh, you know, just this, you often see where the footballers, they, you know, they finish and they go into management or they finish and they go into TV football punditry. And he popped up on homes under the hammer, and you go, ah, oh, okay. And and there are footballers that do do other things, but this is the other thing that I knew about, which is why I suggested him. Okay. And this was the fact that um, when he broke his leg back in 1992, he taught himself to play the saxophone. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> okay. And so he he really got into his music, and that is on the back of that getting into playing the saxophone and enjoying playing music he then invented this percussion instrument called the doob doob i'm not sure how you pronounce yeah. it um and and this percussion instrument is, is it's like really popular it seems to be used by some some great musicians uh, courtney pine thomas lang um and i don't i don't know what it is about that but it's just like for me footballer He's worked his way up to the ranks. He's had to clean cars, sweep, paint, made his money, bought some houses, had a bit of a setback, taught himself saxophone, invented a percussion instrument. It's like 
that's not your standard script, is no, it? And no, that's, I'll that's give what you that. appealed to me. Yeah, no, I'll give you that. I'll give you that. Um, and the dupe, if you don't know what it is, it's a cube. It's a box. <laughs> you can get it in different colours with different tones, but it's essentially a box that you tap on. It's like a cajon. Yeah, it is indeed. Which is basically a box that you tap on. A box on. that you tap yeah. on. But this is the dupe. It comes in different sizes and different colours. And you can... Um, ideal for musicians in schools and even DJ sets. Well, yeah. I'm sure I, I don't, I've not been to many DJ sets in my life, so I don't really know. <laughs> Maybe I bet they they've got a dupe at them. Yeah, they have a, they have a uh, desire to dupe. I don't know. But... He's worth a fair amount of money, and I don't know whether that's from football, from property, from the dupe. Um, $16 million is what I found on Celebrity mm. Net Worth. It's always a bit dubious because I'm not, not sure where they get their figures from. I, I prefer Forbes, but he wasn't on there. No, or what day they've um, taken the... Yeah, the snapshot. Yeah, the snapshot. Yeah. One thing I did find was um, that there, he's part of a, a project where small football clubs um, and businesses are joining forces. Uh, so the EFL and eBay partner to launch Small Businesses United following impact from pandemic. Okay. And this is where um, £250 million from the European Football League would sort of disappeared overnight. Uh, but Small Business United is working within communities to allow eBay sellers to connect with their local football clubs and see their brand under the stadium lights now that they're back watching their team. So it, it's it's a it's a it's a difference to the whole, you know, Betfair and you know all of the big guys, you know, Vodafone and everybody yeah. advertising around football pitches and it's actually getting smaller businesses to partner so that they're helping each other in sort of small oh, nice. ways. So I thought that sounded. What's his involvement with that then? He was well. He was at the launch, um, so I don't know. I don't know if he's funding or if he's just the, the face of it. Um, but uh, yeah, he uh, he would he was part of part of the launch. Yeah, so... I, I'm just interested to see what he does next, Heather. Okay. Well. Okay. You let me off. Uh, 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 yes, I will let you off. I will let you off because of the do. If the do wasn't there, okay, would be a very different conversation we'd be having now. Yeah, I knew about the do. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I need to play a do now. 